I'm just a hack. My technical knowledge is a few <laughs> inches below the surface. And then it goes you, had, you heard it here, folks. Chris Meller is a hack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I am here with my host, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? Jet lagged, but alive. Glad to be back. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're back from India, right? Yep. I was there for about a week and a half. Just got back, although I got back about four days ago. And I swear, the travel just keeps killing me each and every single time I go. 35 yeah. hours door to door, and the jet lag is just insane. 35 hours door to door? Yep. What? Including layovers. And so I take a taxi from Pune to Mumbai. And uh-huh. so just to account for that, because traffic is very unpredictable, they kind mm-hmm. of add another seven or eight hours. <laughs> a seven or eight hour. Ta- how long is the actual ride? Like so, so the actual ride took me five hours. A taxi ride that takes yep. five hours. Yep. That's a thing. Yep. Okay. All right. And then... <laughs> And, and then, then from and then from there, hopping on a flight from Mumbai to Newark, New Jersey, and that was fifteen and a half hours, followed by a two and a half, no, three hour layover in Newark. Newark mm-hmm. to San Francisco is what five and a half hours, and then an yeah. hour to go from San Francisco back home yeah, to I Santa Cruz. Flattering yourself with that hour, but um, uh, yeah, it can take a lot more than an hour to do that trip. So yeah, so thirty five hours. So I'm glad to be home and in my own bed. All right. And we have a special guest this week. He is no stranger to this podcast. This is his second time. And uh, he is a well-known author and um, uh, writing for both uh, The Register and Blocks and Files. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Meller. Thank you, Curtis. And may I say that a 35-hour door-to-door trip sounds to me the definition of Travel hell. I can't imagine it. <laughs> well, and, and that's also uh, all in coach as well. Yep. <sighs> Although I have out. heard going to South Africa is much longer or from the States. So Really? I think so just because of layovers and everything else. My daughter once took a trip to uh, uh, Zambia. Uh, I'm just, I, I know I said that as a question, like you, you, like you two would know the answer, but I believe it was Zambia and something got mucked up along the way where they missed their, uh, connection, uh, due, not due to their fault. It was due to a delay. They missed their connection and the overall trip from here to there took three days. Um, e- much of which was hanging out in airports being told maybe we'll, and, and they, they, they'd reroute them, route them, you know, and they, oh, we think we can get you on this flight from this place. And so they, they, they went to the DC airport for a while. Oh, it was just, it was just absolute, you know, you know, know, we complain about this, but just imagine the fact that you're flying in the air at like 600 plus miles an hour to be able to go from place to place. Like we should be thankful that we can actually do that. Chris, are you rolling your eyes in your head? Like I am when he says that. I'm I'm thinking that a five-hour taxi ride 
if anybody proposed that in the States, the op- the first preferred option will be to fly from start to finish. Yeah. Oh, so but the, but the distance is like, uh, I think it's like 110 kilometers. Seriously? Or 120 kilometers. I kid you not. And it's a five-hour ride? Yeah. Because the t- so the traffic at the very end to go the last probably ten kilometers once you hit Mumbai to get into the airport, if it's during rush hour, it could take you two to three hours. Prasanna, <laughs> I think you should move. <laughs> well, it's the office. It's the Pune office, right? Yep. Um, now yeah. you now I guess I should say you can technically fly into the Pune uh, airport, but it's much smaller, not as convenient for the flights. So oh wow, that, so so basically you say it ends up being similar time. So you're like, um, yeah, wow, that's just and I and I Chris, I know I have actually uh, spent money to fly you places, so I know you're not exactly thrilled about just international travel. Period. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't imagine, you know, and that was for what, uh, like an 11 hour flight. Um, I, I can't imagine uh, you would just say no, right. You would just say, I, there's so. nowhere I need to be. That's that important. Yes. But I guess if I were visiting parents in a home country, that might change my perception. Mm. But I don't think persona, you weren't visiting family. Your family's here, right? Uh, well, my wife's family is in Pune, so I just happened to go there as well because I was around. But yeah, this was primarily a work trip. Yeah. No. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord. So anyway, who's listening and you're like, listen, shut up already. Talk about some technology. And by the way, although Prasanna and I do work for Druva, this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own when I reached out to Chris uh, to be a guest on the show again, I said, hey, Chris, what do you want to talk about? And he just just threw out the Kubernetes word, uh, mm-hmm. Kubernetes and containers. And uh, we've done a couple of episodes, uh, Chris, about uh, these topics. And I've done a couple of blogs and a couple of articles. And th- this is one of those things where so, so let me ask you a question. So you've been you, you know, you've been covering this space and you you. Do you cover more than storage or do you, or do you primarily storage? What what would you call yourself there? Primarily storage and going up the application stack about as far as databases and stopping slightly before that point. Gotcha. All right. Um, and so from, I'm really curious before I, you know, or persona blather on uh, your perception, because you, you talk to a lot of companies, uh, uh, you know, about this technology, your perception of where Docker and Kubernetes are at this point in terms of their impact and, you know, all, all those things. The, the picture I'm getting is that Kubernetes is becoming the generic de facto control plane for cloud native applications in the enterprise. Variety of reasons for that, but because that's the case, I had a session, a briefing session from Portworks. Mm-hmm. This is a startup providing storage for Kubernetes or through Kubernetes for cloud native applications. And the Portworks guys said that they provided backup and disaster recovery for Kubernetes orchestrated applications as well as storage provisioning. Mm-hmm. 
And they did this because they were a software layer sitting between Kubernetes and whatever physical or virtual storage arrays, storage resources were underneath. So Portworks, in a way, orchestrates storage for Kubernetes, which then orchestrates everything for a container or containerized application. And the Portworks guys said that they received instructions from Kubernetes to make a backup or move a copy of an application for disaster recovery purposes. And that what they backed up or what they moved could be instantly reinstantiated through Kubernetes at the destination system. Which got me thinking, if all backup suppliers do the same thing for cloud native applications, i.e get instructions via Kubernetes to provide a backup, then will the backup be of an application rather than of individual microservices within that application? And will that backup also be instantly reinstantiable as a Kubernetes orchestrated application? And if that's that kind of yes, oh. then yeah, backup lock-in goes away. Yeah, I'm just wondering, Chris, is this kind of similar to, and it's not quite the same, but if I think about VMware Backup and how VMware gave you APIs to be able to do change block tracking, take a snapshot, now everyone wrote their backup data in their own proprietary format, but they still had that ability to kind of bring back the copy and kind of started getting there. Now with the Kubernetes and what you're describing, it looks like they're actually even going a step beyond it and saying it still remains in the native format, which then allows you to now spin up and do other things from that. Does that, is that yeah, kind I, of what you're getting to? I mean, looking at what, cause I've looked at the poor work solution and by the way, I'm, I'm very impressed with the port work solution. I, I think that everything starts with the fact that there's storage Right. I would liken it. Um, I would liken. So, you, you know, you mentioned you did the the analogy to, to VMware. I, I completely agree with that analogy. In this analogy, I would liken Portworks to NetApp. Right. So the, basically, as far as I can tell, and again, I haven't, you know, I, I haven't even for obvious reasons, I haven't had a briefing with Portworks because, you know, <laughs> vendors don't give other vendors briefings. Uh, but, I, you know, I've looked at it. And as far as I can tell, it, it is a storage solution that has, you know, tailored itself for uh, Kubernetes and Docker. And that, so they, so when uh, they get an instruction to create a backup, they do magic things, I'm guessing, it's probably something along the lines of snapshot and replication that it's mm -hmm. not a, not a backup in the, the traditional sense anyway. Uh, and that's why when they do snapshots of replication, when they get asked for that image, they can instantaneously boot it. Um, and it's not so much, it's not as if, as far as I can tell, it's not as if Kubernetes has created any sort of, uh, backup. It's not like there's an R man, right? So go to Oracle again with the analogies. Oracle has a backup format, and if you store an R man backup, it doesn't matter what you store it on. You could theoretically pull it up with Oracle from some other place. Uh, there's logistical issues with it, but the format is the same. Here, th there's no analogy to that. There, there's no. There's no. 
Kubernetes dump of of an image, you can you can dump the the Etsy database, uh, Etsy Etsy D is that it's Etsy D right? The Etsy D database, uh, but the other the the so so I think so. Let's just stop there. I think the answer to your question, unfortunately, is no. Okay. Um, I'll put a little bit more color on why why I came up with the question in the first place. All right. And with with, with respect to Prasanna's note about the idea of vVols and VMware, I think conceptually we could think in terms of cVols as being the containerized version of vVols. Mm-hmm. But Portworks would say, no, that's not quite right. Because the, 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 the unit that they're dealing with is not a CVOL. It's, it's not a container volume. It's an application. They say they, quote, back up, end quote, an application. All of its component microservices on all right. of the state between those things. And that they can then reinstantiate the application, booting up the individual containers in that application in the right order and so forth. So, Which, oh, go ahead, Chris. Go on, go far away. Oh, I was just going to ask, I think that at least part of that, if I just look at the application metadata, these are things that like Kubernetes um is really, really good at, right? Understanding what composes, what the containers are, how to manage, orchestrate, right? That's kind of why Kubernetes is so popular, right? Is dealing with all that application metadata and state. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the, it's because it's easy to spell. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, the one question I would have is now tying that down to storage, right? That's always been the hard part, right? Is even with VMware, when before they did vVols, right? It was how do I tie a VM down to an individual VMDK or down to a container that makes more sense? And I think in the case of Portworx, now granted, I haven't looked at it much in detail, but I'm just wondering, are they going to face those same sort of issues where, yes, it might work for their own storage because they understand that relationship of what containers, what applications are writing to what uh, underlying storage. But I'm wondering if we think about it from more generic Kubernetes perspective, would that even be possible unless you're at the storage layer itself? Yeah, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, because I think that's why, because when I look at Kubernetes and, and, and Docker, um, because Kubernetes is really just orchestration and, configuration right and then docker has the underlying images and data and stuff like that um it's and so when when i especially when i look at docker and the actual data that docker is um using and creating that that i i call that the wild wild west because you can uh you can uh, have your storage in a variety of different ways, right? Everything from just attaching to a MySQL database, or you can mount a Docker volume, which is really just a subdirectory under Docker. You can mount an NFS or SMB volume. You can even, I am told, but I haven't looked into this, you can even have a file system. There's a file system... uh, intermediary between object storage and Docker volumes, right? And so when you can do all of that, and then if you look at this from an outside perspective, if you're just an outside application, 
uh, looking at that and you're trying to figure out, okay, let's look at this Docker volume or this Docker uh, container and figure out where your storage is without you telling me uh, for each Docker container. Um, I, I don't see how that's, uh, I mean, it, it's possible. It just, it starts to feel a little bit like boiling the ocean, right? But mm. if I take all of that and I say, all right, rule number one, you have to put all your stuff on me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to give me all your storage. And then whether it's a MySQL database or it's a file system or it's an object storage, I will be all of those things, whatever you want, I will give you that. And you have to put everything. And then once you store everything on my storage, I now solve that number one problem that I have with Kubernetes and Docker. And that's that I don't know what you're doing. Okay. Let, let's, let me try and stick a knife in you from another direction. I'm Please. speaking metaphorically here. <laughs> um, let's suppose I'm a Druva or a Veeam or a Veritas or a Commvault. And I all ask right. myself, I want to back up cloud-native applications. How am mm. I going to do it? That's do a I great do it question, Chris. Container level, or do I do it at the application level? And this is this is why I call this the wild, wild west because <laughs> the answer is a giant. It depends, right? So you can, <laughs> Curtis. Um, well, it is. Well, it depends on so. So Kubernetes, Kubernetes is solvable, right? Kubernetes has a couple of different things that you need to back up. And right now there's no hooks that I'm aware of to, to directly, like there, again, there's no RMAN. You can do an Etsy database dump and you can, you know, you can back that up and uh, that sort of stuff. Kubernetes is configuration information that we can handle. When we talk about backing and then also if you follow proper protocols, you can back up the container images and the the, uh, the 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 Docker files that are used to create those container container images. You can back all that up, but that's not that's not what we're worried about. I mean, we are, but that's the easy part. The hard part is the thing you're talking about, which is what about the data that's in these containers? And the problem is how you back up that container is different based on how you did storage for that container. Um, I get you. Yeah. And so, and it so could I, be a file, it could Persona, be a lock, it could be block, it could be whatever. It could be, yeah. Persona, you, I think you've got a little more experience than me in this in this area. Do, I mean, do, do you think I'm talking out my, you know what, here or what? No, I think it's true. It all depends on what that underlying store is and how you deal with it. That's why always, even in traditional storage, it's always been difficult if you look at file interfaces versus block and just trying to make sense out of things mm -hmm. and what the right mechanism is. I think the same thing holds true. And now with Kubernetes, right, they have all the Kubernetes storage integration functionality where everyone's trying to bring that storage level functionality in as well to allow you to do array snapshots and other things, other mechanisms like that as well. Yeah, so you look at, to go back to your VMware analogy, so if, again, this analogy is going to break at some point, but if in this analogy that Kubernetes is VMware, okay, because it's, it, it VMware is a whole bunch of things, right? Kubernetes is just the orchestration layer, but let's just stick with me for a moment. The, with VMware, the, how we solved this with VMware was, we don't care, VMware said, Whatever the customer does with storage, we have provided this API that you can access 
the basically the VMDKs, a quiesced version of the VMDKs, whatever the customer used for storage, whether it's, you know, vSAN or a NetApp or just JBOD, right? Whatever the customer used for storage, if you use this API, you can see their storage via this API and you can back up the VMDKs, right? They, they provided that, they solved this problem for VMware. So that meant that you could back up a VMware application quite happily if you were an independent backup supplier or if you were the actual physical storage supplier. It made no difference. Right. So they provided, yes. Yeah, so if you were a storage supplier, you could talk to that API and say, I would like to back up all these VMs. Are you ready? You ready to back up? Yes, you're ready to back up. I now take a snapshot. How you take the backup is irrelevant, right? Mm. Um, but the point is that the way VMware solved this this wild, wild west problem, it, or maybe they never had the problem to begin with, is because they provided this API. Uh, well, you know, when we go back in time, there was a time when when VMware made backups very, very bad, right? There was, but there was a time before the API happened, right? And uh, the, the, Chris, do you remember VCB? Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, VCB. And you know, do you remember what it stood for? I think it's something like VMware Control Block. But I'm not no, sure. it stood for very crappy backup. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a little known fact. Um, but so so in this case, that is a possibility that a Kubernetes or a Docker could do is if they could if they could provide an API um, such that people could back up a running instance. But again, I don't know if that just goes against the point of Docker. But I wonder also with some of these things, like with VMware, it's great that they gave the API, but it also sort of restricted what functionality you could build into the product because they controlled that layer. Well, right. And, And so I'm wondering, like you said, Curtis, with Kubernetes being open, if there really is that push to kind of give a standardized API layer for everyone to come plug into, or if there is some value adds that people can add by actually bringing something more uh, unique and differentiated. Well, I think Portworx is an an example of people doing that, right? and and, the, and I'm sure there will be other. Are are there already, uh, Chris? Have you talked to anybody else that's trying to? I thought that Clumio, a cloud native backup company, should be able to do this, but apparently it cannot. It backs up virtual servers at the moment and not Kubernetes orchestrated microservices applications. Yeah, doesn't well, Kasten do something, Chris? Who? Kasten. Kasten. Yes, they do. They do almost exactly the same as Portworx. Yeah, um, but that's without their own storage, though I believe. Yes, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I've only had one or two briefings from Kasten, and I haven't quite got that settled down in my own mind yet. Vis-a-vis yes. Yeah. So you know, in the case of Clumio, you know, they're doing they're doing the same thing that Druva's doing in that they're going after, uh, you know, both going after sort of a cloud native design, but they're going after virtual uh, servers. Well, what I was going to say is they're not trying, they're not going after the, because Kubernetes and Docker, I still think is a very small portion of the overall body politic, right? Yes. Um, so the, so they're doing the same thing that, that most backup companies do, which is they're going after the, you know, the low hanging fruit first, which is VMware, um, AWS, uh, 
et cetera, right? And then once they've got some some money under their belt and you know uh, enough customers to fund other possible interesting projects, because I, I don't know. I don't know how much, let's just say tomorrow I could snap my fingers um, and, you know, we had a native solution that could solve all these problems. I don't know how many people there are that would actually buy it um, yet, but uh, that, that, and I don't know if anybody can answer that question. I, I believe that every enterprise backup data protection company should mm-hmm. have a Kubernetes cloud-native application project. I, I think agree. this is a great, great, big, massive opportunity. And if you, if they don't do it, then they're going to end up a little bit like Veritas was a couple of years ago, left behind and staggering. Yeah. So again, to continue the analogies, do you think there will be a Veeam you know, is is Portworks in this, right? Because that's basically what happened was Veeam basically kicked Veritas's butt by taking by taking that painful part of their application and doing nothing but that. Um, is there some, a Veeam in the future that does just Kubernetes backup? Forgive me, I'm it's interrupting like crazy. I'm convinced Veeam is thoroughly active in this area. Oh, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying, do you think there's a possibility? of there being a, I, but the question is, will, would would Veeam be overtaken by a faster moving? Startup? That's what I'm saying. You know, a first mover in the Kubernetes Docker space. And it's, I don't think, I don't, my, my personal opinion, that isn't Portworks. I think Portworks will probably do very well and they'll probably do, you know, make a lot of money. But historically, uh, solutions that require you to switch storage to solve a problem only get a small segment of the market, right? There, there's a whole bunch of people who are like, hey, I like my ABC storage and I'm not going to move, you know, but, storage. But there's also a lot of things that are changing once you do start going to Kubernetes as well, just in terms of flexibility and other aspects. So I'm wondering if that also makes for a reason to shift, right? Because things are being redesigned at the same time. Here's what I think. I think that somewhere in stealth, there is a company that is going to do Kubernetes backup and Docker backup and nothing else. And they're going to emerge and they're going to do really well. That's what I think. Uh, and then the rest, and then the rest of us will play catch up. I think I agree with you, Chris. I think every, uh, backup company, you know, uh, should have this as a, they should be working on this. I will also say that it's a, it is a real difficult, problem to solve it's not it's not an easy one right and you don't have a it's not the same where again going back to vmware it's not the same where once vadp was announced if you weren't working on that as a company and making a really good interface to that then you were just stupid right in this case the problem has been announced i'm not quite sure there's a unified solution to the problem that that you could program to as a company I think it's a horrendously difficult problem because with with a virtual server application, you've got relatively few VMs to deal with. I'm talking about the tens or the fifties, maybe right. in a big stage. Right. With a containerized solution, you could easily mm-hmm. be talking about thousands of containers interacting, possibly more. Mm-hmm. And quiescing an application with that number <laughs> of containers, some of which have storage provisioned and some of which don't. It's a horrendous problem. 
So in that case, Chris, do you believe that instead of trying to protect an entire application, you would protect segments or portions of the application in a consistent manner and the rest of it, if especially if they're stateless containers, you'll just say, yeah, whatever. Let's see. I... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's a very canny, canny, canny point. There's so much appeal to it because it immediately cuts down the amount of work you have to do. It's like the attack surface of the cloud native application shrinks down wonderfully for you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm just a hack. My technical knowledge is a few <laughs> inches below the surface. And then it goes you, had, you heard it here, folks. Chris Meller is a hack. Yeah. <laughs> I rely upon people talking to, talking to people like you to find out what's going on. Uh, yeah, it's I, I you know it's interesting. I, again, I I I think it would be unfair to compare like all of backup backup dumb to to what Portworx has done because it's not fair. They have the storage, <laughs> and that makes it so much easier to for them. Um, but I, I do wonder if, if like what Persona was saying is that solving it at that level for the rest of us may be near impossible. So maybe, you know, companies will do, do what they can do. Right. Uh, Right now, right now there's um, what what I, the the people that I've interacted with in the containers and Kubernetes, like the actual people that are actually using it. I I'm a little worried because some of them that I talk to, it reminds me uh, of the early days of the cloud where people said, oh, well, it's in, it's in Amazon, so I'm good. Like, I don't need to back mm-hmm. it up. Like, th- there's, this, there's this perception. They're really smart people, but I, I've spent, an in, I've spent a, you know, a, a, um, a career working with really smart people that often forget backup or don't give it, don't, don't give it its due. You know, I was always the guy in the meeting raising my hand and saying, how are we backing up this new application? This application sounds amazing. How are we backing it up? Oh, it's Solaris? We don't have any other Solaris machines in this company. Does anybody know how to back one of those up? Right. I, I, I rem- so this is no different than, than back in the day, right? They're, they're, they're so busy building. They, they want to do what's right for the application to, to, you know, what's either fast or easy or, or easy to scale. They want to do all those things. I don't know if the people who are actively using Kubernetes and Docker are, some of them are, are not necessarily giving backup its, and more important recovery, it's due within those worlds. And so I, I don't even know, this is what, this is why I'm still wondering how, how big the market is because a lot of them, they're fine with, um, they may have Docker and Kubernetes, but their installations are still relatively small in contrast to the rest of their environment. Mm-hmm. And um, if they're doing it on-prem, they're, um, I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty small. I think many of them are doing this up in, up in Amazon or Azure. You think, what do you, what do you, actually, yeah, what? that's an interesting question. I think a lot of them are doing it in Amazon, and if you're doing it in Amazon or or Azure or or GCP or Oracle Cloud, which <laughs> I, I don't know why I always forget them, but um, the, I, I think there are there, again they have the storage, right? So there's things that you can much more easily do in AWS or any other cloud provider 
you could very easily just sort of snap your whole environment, hmm. right? Um, and 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 just easily make a whole cut. You can't but, easily do that on prem. But even there, though, Curtis, going back to uh, what happens if my application is using, say, RDS plus Aurora DB plus S3 plus EBS volumes? AWS doesn't have a technology today to allow me to snap across everything at a single across. point in time. But and it does that, have a technology to back up all those things. It does, but how do I deal with consistency? Going back to applications. Yeah, I, I didn't say it was a perfect solution. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, don't, <laughs> I know. I'm just bringing up a question more than anything because that's also in yeah. my mind, right? It's how do I take a crash consistent or app consistent point across mm-hmm. multiple entities when they live on different persistent storage layers? Okay, what I'm walking away from here is that <laughs> there, there is a real big serious issue. Mm-hmm. And if a supplier is going to provide a microservices application backup facility, it has to work across multiple public clouds as well as on-premises. And the only feasible route to doing it at the moment is using Kubernetes facilities. And there doesn't appear to be anybody, anybody in the backup dump environment who's actually doing this at the moment. Portworx no one that has announced an open. Yeah. yeah. Well, but again, let's go back to Portworks. I don't know if Portworks can do anything in the public cloud. Oh, oh, I should know that. And I don't. I, I, I I'm pretty they sure their whole... Uh, well, we can we can look, uh, you know, and we can have them on, you know, as a guest. Portworx, if you're listening, or if anybody knows the Portworx people, tell them, tell them, give us, give me a call. It's wcurtispreston at gmail.com. But anyway, all right. So, so the the short version is to, to just go be, go back to the original question. I, I I do think there's a big problem that needs to be solved. I think we all universally agree, and and no one no one thinks that Kubernetes or Docker are going away anytime soon. And let's just set aside the fact that there are competitors to Kubernetes and Docker that also exist, and we're just going to pretend they don't exist mm-hmm. uh, because that makes the problem <laughs> even worse. With um, VMware's Project Pacific, does this change things? Well, now that's another great question. <laughs> I mean, you could. Presumably, Project Pacific will, hang on, is vSphere then organizing containers or is Project Pacific organizing containers and virtual machines? I think it does. Uh, I think it does both. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a good question uh, uh that's funny um uh by the way is it called project it's project pacific like the ocean yes and i believe the actual they, piece of software they, in there is called tanzu are they trying to boil the ocean is that is that what they're announcing here no no they're, they're gathering of- up all the plastic scum from the surface and putting it in a container <laughs> oh. Please, somebody do that. Um, so, yeah, so th- that is interesting. But again, that would solve the problem only for, e- let's just assume they, they they have this, that would solve the problem only for people who are willing to run their Kubernetes and Docker stuff on VMware, VMware. stuff. Yep. That right? is correct. Um, That'd be very appealing too. Any final thoughts? Do, do Chris, do you, do you, it sounds like I shattered your hopes and dreams on this uh, this idea that you had. You cast a great deal of light on a large topic, Curtis, for which I'm very grateful. One of, one of the things I'm susceptible to is 
making a pattern out of dots when the pattern doesn't really exist. And I think this has been one of those cases. Okay. Yeah. I, and by the way, you know, as, as much as you might think, you know, backup companies have historically not liked the idea of images that can move between Honestly, it's one of our one of our greatest challenges. At, you know, as a company, we we hate it when we have a customer who a potential customer who is really interested in our product, but they're like, "But I have six years of net backup backups. What can you do with those?" And the answer is, "Yeah, sorry, nothing." Um, you know, can you suck them into your backup world? No, uh, it, it's that's not a thing. No one does that. Um, you know, the, the, the only, the closest that I know, you know, there's one company that will turn your backups into archives, but th there's nobody that takes a, and turns it into B. I, I, I don't know of any such product. That'd be another great product, but again, it's a, it's a small market, you know, I mean, it's a huge market, but it's a, it's a solution you only need one time. Yep. Right. Um, anyway, well, Chris, thank you so much for, uh, so it's, it's what, what time is it over there? Is it five or four? It's coming up to five. It's coming up to 6 PM. Coming up to 6 PM. Well, thank you so much for, for, uh, taking once again, time to hang out with us. And, um, yeah, thank you, Chris. If you're either in California or if you're in Pune, let me know. We'll go have chat <laughs> somewhere. Thank you very much. Both of you. you have both successfully put my back up. I'm sorry, that was British humor. It might not fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did not translate. But uh, thanks anyway. Uh, and also thanks to you, the listeners. Uh, without you, we would not have a podcast. So thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it. Instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe one day it'll